let's just praise the Lord. Are you able to hear me? Let's just take up that song that we had sung just a little before. Take me in to the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. Take me in to the holy of holies. Take the coal, cleanse my lips. Here I am. Take the coal, cleanse my lips. Here I am. Yes, my Father, we have come into your presence. We have wandered in many places, O Lord God, but tonight, today we are here in your presence, O Lord God. We have come into your presence. Lord, cleanse these lips, cleanse my lips, and cleanse the lips of each of my hearers, O Lord God, the ones, your dear ones that you have brought into your presence today. For we are here, O Lord God, to hear from you. It's not the voice of man, my Father, but it is your word. Let your word come, O God. Let your word come, my Father. Father, cleanse us, and Father, refresh us, Refresh us. You're a God who fills us with joy. Refresh us today, O God. Let our joy be full, as you said in your word today, O Lord God, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you. Lord, it is not anything of me, O Lord God. I hide myself behind your cross. It is your word to your bride. Lord, speak to your bride today in the name of Jesus. We thank you, blessed Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen and amen. Welcome you all once again into this glorious place, into the presence of the Lord. Amen. Small correction. It was projected over here that uh, Christmas is on Monday. If you come on Monday, you won't even get the cake. It's on Sunday. Amen. And. The New Year service is on six, uh, 6 o'clock, not 6.30, 6 to 7.30, both uh, Christmas and New Year services. You are welcome in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the promise of this year? Oh, 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 oh. Promise of the year? Romans? Nobody is telling. Romans 15 verse, you can read from there, Romans 15 verse 13, may the God of hope, what, fill you with what, all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, right, now for a faith filled life to abound in hope, what has God got to do, you saw that verse, what does God fill us with? Joy. Amen. Hope is what the Holy Spirit produces in us. Right? God has to fill us with joy. That's what the prayer is over there. May the God of hope fill us with joy so that you may abound in hope, so that your life will brim over with hope. Right? Now, children over here, how many of you 
got invite for birthday parties. Only few? Yeah, many, right? You've been invited for birthday parties. Okay. Now, if someone is inviting you sadly for his birthday party, what will you do? Will you feel like going? Oh, I might not even get a return gift. Should I go? Right? Right? Now, you see, God had assigned this task to a family. Right? Not for his birthday party, to announce his birth. We're going to look at that. How they were filled with joy. To invite someone, you need joy, right? And you and I are also being called to invite. Not for a birthday party, but for what? For a wedding, right? For his second coming. How many of us have got wedding invitations? Right? We've all got wedding invitations. And if the person who's coming and inviting you sadly, what do you think? Is this guy going to be there in his wedding? <laughs> but here, God fills us for a purpose to spread a message. That's what we are going to look at today. Joy-filled to be hopeful. Joy-filled to be hopeful. We are going to learn from the first messengers. And I want us to turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. How God fills a family with joy and hope to announce his coming. To announce his coming. His first coming. I read from verse 5 onwards. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Look at the next verse. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Elizabeth was barren. There was no source of joy concerning that aspect of her life. But how did God fill them with joy to announce the birth of his son? Let's look at that. How does the Lord of Harvest cultivate joy in us? It's a question that we need to ask. You see, we all have challenges, but God has given us a task, and God does not send us without filling us. And he does not send us without filling us with joy. And for that, we need to look to him. And for that, we need to be molded by him as well. So how does God fill someone with joy? We're going to look at it in three aspects. Joy filled in alignment. Everybody say alignment. Joy filled in alignment. Joy filled in confinement. You heard of that? Confinement. Very familiar for us. We all experience that for a while. Right? We don't want to go back to that place, correct? Right? Joy filled in confinement and joy filled in assignment. Everybody say assignment. Assignment, assignment once again, I can't hear you. Yeah, amen. Right. So how does God cultivate joy by alignment? He cultivates joy by bringing us in alignment with him. Let's look at 
Zechariah. What happened to him? Let's go to verse 12 of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verse 12 onwards I read, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. That's a word for someone here. You will have joy and gladness. But you see, Zechariah, a man who was blameless before God, a man who was righteous concerning all the commandments, blameless, a man who was serving in the priesthood. This man was not in alignment with God. He was not in alignment with God concerning one thing. What was that? He could not receive the word of God. The promise when it came, he did not receive it. Look at his question in verse 18. He asked, can you read there? What did he ask? How shall I know this? If you go back, Mary also asked the same question. right? You might say, why not Mary was not found with unbelief? Why Zacharias? Because, you see there, Zacharias had prayed and God had come with answer for his prayer, but he was not even ready to accept or first receive that promise. He said, how can I be sure of this? When he was not ready to receive the word, he could not also accept that his prayer has been answered. Anybody been there? God is answering your prayer and you are not willing to accept it. The early church had that problem. They were praying earnestly for Peter to be released and when Peter came and knocked at the door, what did they ask? Is it Peter's ghost or his angel? It must not be Peter. You see, we all go through those cycles where we are not able to accept when God answers prayer because we are covered with our own burdens, we are covered with our own apprehensions and God is so gracious with us. Amen? But here... He could not, not only accept, he could not believe. Look at that second part of that word. What does he say? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Logical thought, right? But what about his father Abraham? Let's turn to Romans chapter 4, verse 19. Romans chapter 4, verse 19, I will read it from the New Living Translation. Romans chapter 4, verse 19, And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Same challenge. Same challenge, but this man, his father Abraham, he did not weaken in faith. But what did he do? He kept on giving glory to God. 
Zechariah's faith was exactly opposite of that of Abraham. That was a place of misalignment and God said, no, no, Zacharias, this is not something that we can agree on. What else? So he was, what was he saying? He said, my body is well advanced. I'm an old man, going back to that verse of 18, Luke 1, I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. He was looking at his own capabilities, saying, I'm not capable to do this, God. I'm not capable. I don't have that strength to do this. Psalm 20, verse 7. Psalm 20, verse 7. Those who are going for discipleship, this is one of your memory verses, right? Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will we will remember. We will remember the name of the Lord. Now, tell me, anybody knows the meaning of the word Zacharias? Anyone here? Meaning of the word Zachariah. Zachariah means God remembers. Right? God remembers. And here, a man named God remembers is what is he doing? He's not remembering the name of the Lord. Instead, he's trusting in his own chariot and in, in his own horses to see whether God's word will come true. And God says, Zechariah, this is complete misalignment. Your chariots need some wheel alignment. Right? And that's how God brings Zechariah to alignment. God has to bring Zacharias to alignment so that joy comes to him for him to announce the news of the birth of his son. So what does God do to Zacharias? Very interesting. Verse 20 of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 20. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. You see, Zacharias, I have a purpose and I will bring my word to come to pass. It will be fulfilled. But for that to happen, I have to mute you. Anybody been muted in meetings? We experienced that, right? <laughs> I have to mute you for a while so that my word will come forth. My word, when it goes, it does not come back void. But for that, I have to make your word to cease for a while. God takes us through seasons of muting sometimes so that he will accomplish his purpose. Muting is one way God aligns us to himself. Amen? So what does he do? He mutes him. Look at the agenda that heaven had for Zechariah. Let's go back a few verses. Verse 13 of Luke, Luke 1. What was the agenda of God for Zechariah? You shall call his name. Sleeping? John. You shall call his name what? John. And what, will, what is the next agenda? 
you will have joy and gladness at his birth now when does god unmute zachariah let's jump a few verses almost down to luke 1 verse 59 luke 1 verse 59 and i will read from there on what happens you see zachariah is born and they are going to circumcise him and the people are asking what should we name him and their people are saying like name and same zacharias you know we have that in our culture uh-huh. father will have the son's name then the son will have the father's name right like that here they were going to name him the same thing and that time god unmutes him look at there luke 1 verse 59 they would have called him by the name of his father zacharias his mother answered and said this is why sisters are sometimes more wiser he says no no he shall be called john but they said to her there is no one among your relatives who's called by this name so may they made signs to his father what he would have him called and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying his name is john what happens next so they all marveled immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and what did he do he spoke praising god god unmutes so that you will praise him amen look at there what happens in verse 67 when does joy come when does the holy spirit encounter zachariah as soon as he comes in alignment with heaven's agenda here comes now his father zacharias was filled with the holy spirit and prophesied saying blessed is the lord god of israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us he does not say he has given me a son what does he say he has raised up a horn of salvation for us the lord jesus christ in the house of his servant as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have since who have been since the world began i stop there so why why is that alignment so useful for me or so important for me you could have said zacharias he's finished his task but you and i still have a task remember the wedding invitation right you and i in this time and season when the world is still celebrating his first coming you and i have to be prepared and to announce his second coming if you are sleeping say amen right you and i are called to announce his second coming and at that point of time we still need that joy we still need joy so how does god align you and me does he mute you and me now yes there are seasons but god in his word has shown us something else matthew 11 verse 28 to 29 god's tool of alignment god's tool of alignment matthew 11 verse 28 to 29 take my yes 
29. Take my yoke upon you. Okay, let's go back to 28. Sorry, sister. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you sleep. Rest. Right? I will give you rest. Take my what? Joke. Yoke upon yourselves and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see the way in which the Lord invites you and me. He's not boisterous about it. He's saying, I am meek. I'm gentle. Come learn from me. I have something to offer for you. This is how you come in alignment with me. This is my terms and conditions. Pastor Francis always says, terms and conditions apply. This is my terms and conditions. Come. He's not forcing us. He's not catching us by our necks and saying, come. No, it's an invite. I am meek. I am lowly. And he says, take my yoke. Few things that the yoke teaches us. The yoke has a load. There is a load of the yoke. He says, my burden, my yoke, my burden. He had a burden. What is the burden that Jesus had? You think he was roaming around freely when he came? No, he came with a burden. What was the burden that Jesus was having? Let's look at Mark chapter 1 verse 14. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. And verse 15. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Two things that we need to focus over there. What? One is kingdom of God. Two, the gospel. Right? Before we repent and believe, let's first just go back to the kingdom of God and to the gospel. Was this a burden for Jesus? Look at verse 38 of Mark chapter 1. When his ministry was immediately becoming famous, when people were looking out to him, what was he doing? Look at verse 38. Verse 37, when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. You know, we would have run for it. When everyone is looking for us, we would say, ah, yeah, yeah, coming, 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 one minute. No, what does he say? What does he say over there? He says, but Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. The purpose for my coming, my burden to go from one place to other is to preach the gospel, to make known the kingdom of God. Now, what was the gospel? How did Jesus preach the gospel? I want us to look at a very interesting testimony of, of Saul himself. Acts chapter 26. You know how Jesus encountered Saul, right? right? We know that. Acts chapter 9. Saul is arrested by Jesus. Right? And he says something to him over there. Is it hard for you to prick against the goats? 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But he says something more, which is revealed in Acts chapter 26, when Paul testifies. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. For, for short of time, I will just focus on that verse. What was Jesus talking about the gospel as? I am sending you to the Gentiles, Paul, for what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. There is a word after that. What is that in your Bible? Then. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. There is a turning. There is a turning from darkness to light. There is a turning from the yoke of Satan to God. That is when our repentance becomes significant. Otherwise, we'll keep on making U-turns, running around in a roundabout, not going anywhere. But God wants us to make turns. Turn to me. And this is what the gospel is, where we, once our eyes are opened, we turn back to God. Yes, we fall. I fall. It's not that I'm perfect. None of us are perfect. But there is a grace upon us to walk in that call that he has given us. Right? And what is the kingdom of God? You see, when Paul said this statement, remember what Agrippa said? You almost persuade me to be a Christian. You almost persuade me to turn. Right? But what was Paul's summary of the kingdom of God? Let's turn to Romans 14. Verses 17 to 18. And I will read it from the Philips version. Romans 14 verses 17 to 18. After all, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of whether you get what you like to eat and drink. The kingdom of heaven is not, what a, what a, not a matter of whether you get what you like to eat and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you put these things first in serving Christ, you will please God and are not likely to offend men. You see the Lord of the gospel? Seeking God, seeking to please him, living a life of righteousness, living a life of joy, living a life of peace. A life governed by these things. A life that is in right standing with God. A life that looks to be joyful. Both with men and with God. A life that seeks peace. Both with men and with God. That's the summary of the kingdom of God. And it is this burden that the Lord is putting on us. He's inviting us to take it. This is the Lord of the gospel. Lord of the yoke. Right? But the Lord is not for us to bear alone. The yoke has a node as well. What does he say? Take my yoke upon yourself. Which means he's connected at the other end. It's like two bullocks. The picture is the same. A stronger bullock helping a, a, a younger one or a, or a weaker one to carry the load. 
He is always the stronger one. And the note is that connect that we have with him, that relationship that we have with him. When we sustain that relationship, when we fall back to that relationship at all times, we can carry this burden. It is light. That is why he says it is light. If we try to do it on our own, we will fail, we will fall, we will falter. This connect is what brings us to alignment with him. The node of the yoke is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen? If you're not sleeping, say amen. 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 Right? And what next? If there is a load, if there is a node, there is also a goad. There is a provoking. There is a pushing of the yoke upon us. He says that yoke is easy. Easy means it is just right fit for you. Jesus said many things were difficult. Right? In this world, everything will be easy. Is that what the Lord said? No. In this world, you will have many tribulations. That's a promise from God. You don't want to take it. <laughs> no, no, that's a statement. It's not a promise. In this world, you will have many tribulations. But the promise comes later. My peace I give to you. In this world, you will have troubles. He said, it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Right? And then he said, it is difficult for, to follow me as well. People wanted to follow him. He said, the son of man does not have even a place to lay his head. God did not say following him will be easy. But God said, this yoke, this alignment that he brings us to him with, this is easy. It prods us. Because the joy that brings, it's not an earthly joy. Heavens rejoice when a sinner repents and turns to God. And you and I are called to that purpose. And that's the joy that God wants to fill us with. Today, are you taking that yoke? Am I taking that yoke? Or am I saying, no, no, no. That is for someone up in India who's, who's going in the fields. It's not for me. No. You and I, remember, we have a wedding invitation. Let's move on. There is joy in alignment. And we lose this joy many times because we have either neglected this yoke or we have refused this yoke. That is why many of us are not finding joy in our Christian life because we don't even have the burden to share the gospel. And the Lord will help us tonight once again in Jesus' name. Huh? Huh? I didn't hear. Amen. Amen. The church of God, I have written here, the church of God becomes devoid of joy when it aligns away from living out the gospel and preaching it. How else does God cultivate joy? Let's look at Elizabeth. God cultivates joy by bringing me in confinement with him. If God used alignments for Zechariah, he used confinement for Elizabeth. Look at verse 24 of Luke 1. Luke 1 verse 24. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. I'm reading from the NLT. His wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. 
He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. You see, her joy was buried in disgrace. She did not want to come out. She did not want to go and meet people because the shame of being barren was always overwhelming her. But when she found out that she was carrying the promise of God, what does she do? She goes into confinement for five months. Right? In those days, there were no scans, no ultrasound, no visits to the, to the gynecologist to confirm. Right? But the only way that you knew that the baby was forming or was being alive in your womb was when it played football. Right? When it kicked. The movements of the baby is when, when the mother experienced, that's when she knew, okay, there is something happening in me. And that happened usually for the first child, it's the fifth month. Right? People who are uh, gynecologists and even new mothers, they'll know that. The fathers don't know it so much. Right? right. But here, she came to know in the fifth month. That's why she went into confinement. You see, interestingly, what does Elizabeth mean? That word means God of the oath, God of promise. She knew that God had made a promise to her. And when she knew that that promise was being formed in her, she went and hid herself. If social media was available that time, many Elizabeths would be saying, my first bump, tweet it, put it here, there. No, but what did she do? She went into confinement with God. Why? Because she was carrying the precious promise of God. And she said, this one, I need to hear from God alone. There was a time when I was holding on to the word of the Lord. Now is the time to hold on to the God of the word. So that what he brings forth, let me take of it. Elizabeth went into confinement because she knew the preciousness of the promise that she was carrying. How about you and I? Do you know that you and I have been given precious promises? Amen? Let's turn to 1 Peter. Second Peter, sorry. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. By which have been given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having, why? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Our pastor was exhorting when we started, there is a promise concerning us that is being fulfilled. I wrote that down when pastor was saying that. There is a promise that is concerning us as being fulfilled. God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. And to take hold of that promises, there are times that we need to go into confinement. You know why? You saw that second part of that verse, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. The world has many things to offer us. The world had so much to offer for Joseph. 
it was found right in potiphar's house what he could what he could get but what did he do he escaped there he said no matter what happens i'm running away from here so that what is of god will be formed in us look at colossians chapter 3 who are you and i colossians chapter 3 verse 2 and 3 set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth why are we reading the next verse for you had your birthday no for you died and where is your life now hidden hidden with christ when god has hit us why should we run around and lose the preciousness of the promise that god has put in us he has given us the promise of the holy spirit he has given us the promise of eternal life he has given us the promise of being with him he has given us so great and precious promise the promise of his righteousness being right with him at all times and for that to be formed for a baby to be formed elizabeth hid herself for 9 months for god's precious nature his divine nature to be formed in us how can we just run into the world and come back you think the world will leave us there look at second peter chapter 2 verse 20 and 21 second peter chapter 20 verse 20 and 21 what a stern warning the bible gives us for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the lord and savior jesus christ which is where you and i are in now they are again entangled in them if they are again entangled in the pollutions of the world and then what next state is what overcome by those pollutions the latter end is worse for them than the beginning look at that next portion for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them tell your neighbor you shall overcome you shall overcome for the joy of the lord is your strength amen that is why god takes us into confinement god invites us into places of confinement so that his promises will be fulfilled in us we are carrying far more precious things my brethren it's not just limited to this world far more precious things weight of eternal glory god has vested into these fragile bodies and he invites us to be hid with him so that his promises are formed in us amen and the lord shall help us parents for the sake of our children be the elizabeth hide hide don't follow after whatever your flesh leads to because your son will follow you your daughter will just follow you the way you go hide yourself ask god for grace kneel at his presence and ask him god give me grace i am susceptible to failures this thing always overtakes me but i want your grace to overcome temptations so that the precious son the precious daughter that you have given me she he 
will be formed to your image and I will be confirmed to your image. Amen? The Lord shall help us in Jesus' name. Confinement causes us to escape the lust of the world rather than exposing ourselves to it. Amen? Say to your neighbor, I shall escape. I shall escape, Brother Alvin. I shall escape. Amen. How else does God cultivate joy? If he did, for the father he brought him into alignment and the mother into confinement. What did he do for the son? John the Baptist. God cultivates joy by upholding me in the place of assignment. How many of us in places of assignment? Nobody? Everybody jobless? All of us have one assignment or the other, right? Otherwise, we won't be in this land. Correct? One assignment or the other, we all have. Right? John the Baptist had an assignment. A very joyful assignment. Let's see what was his assignment. Verse 16 of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I want someone from the congregation to read. Luke chapter 1. Verse 16 to 17. Verse 16, Brother Linden. Verse 17, Brother Welling. Amen. His challenge was the kind of people who he was going to deal with. Look at that. Hard-hearted fathers. Anyone here? Hard-hearted fathers? Oh, all are very good fathers here. Right. Hard-hearted fathers. And uh, look at that. Heart of the fathers to the children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Right? He was dealing with unruly people going to announce an unknown Messiah of an unsure timing. The Lord had not revealed everything to him. We'll see that. Unruly people. It's easier to deal with children than the fathers, right? Friday school teachers. Unruly people the Messiah is unknown. His timing is not sure. So how does God cultivate joy in the place of such assignment? He does that in many ways. We will look at a few, time permitting us. He does that in the place of separation. Look at verse 80. Where did John grow? John grew up and became strong in the spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. You see, the one who was filled with spirit from the birth, what does the Bible say? He had to become strong in the spirit. It's one thing to fill your car. It's another to service your car. Correct? Filling gives energy. Strengthening gives endurance. And God used the wilderness for that. 
God used the wilderness for that. Wilderness forged the calling of John. He did not go to the temple. He was the son of a priest, but he was not found in the temple. He was found in the wilderness because his calling was a greater calling. Look at verse 76 of Luke chapter 1. And your child will be called the prophet of the highest. And for such a calling, God had to use the wilderness. God forges our calling in the heat of the wilderness. Otherwise, we will become a reed that becomes quickly shaken by every wind of the doctrine. Don't despise wildernesses. Wilderness was a place where nothing is favorable. Wilderness is not a place of shaming. It's a place of shaping. Our brother was leading intercession last, in, uh, last evening. He was telling Moses, Moses had a great call, but he went into the wilderness, he fled, and the wilderness, the people in the wilderness shaped his culture, shaped his lifestyle. But God did not allow that with John. He took him to the solitude of the wilderness and shaped his identity. As his calling was forged, his identity was shaped. Look at verse 25 of Luke chapter 7. When Jesus testifies of John, he says, what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed that was shaken in the wilderness? No. He was someone who was strong. And in 25, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. You see, what was his identity, anyone? What was his clothing like? What was John the Baptist's clothing? Levi's, what? Camel skin. Right? Camel skin. And what was his appetite? You forgot the locust. <laughs> locust and wild honey. Right? You see, his clothing, the kings could not say he's one of us. Right? He was not. No, no. His clothing showed his identity. This speaks something about where I come from, correct? Your clothing shows us where we belong to or where we come from. The priest could not claim of him, he is one among us. No. People of Jerusalem couldn't say he was one among us. Only the wilderness could say he belonged to us. His clothing, his identity was shaped by the wilderness. Christian. What is your identity being shaped by? Who stakes claim to your identity? That's a question that I need to ask myself. That's a question that you need to ask yourself. And what was his appetite? What does the wilderness do? It shapes, it forges your calling, it shapes your identity, it refines your appetite. What could he eat? Only what the wilderness provided. John, what did you have for lunch? Locust, desert, wild honey. That's what gave him his strength. Today, what is your appetite like? You know, they call the social media feed. Right? What is in my social media? Feed today. 
What are you fed by today? What fills your appetite today? That your calling is forged, that your assurance of salvation is established. What feeds your appetite today? What feeds my appetite today? For John, it was what the wilderness could offer. And he found strength there so that his identity was perfected. Wilderness refined his appetite. Separation God uses so that we are formed. And what does God do? There is a preparation that he does. From the place of separation, through his preparation, he gives joy. Look at verse 66 of Luke chapter 1. And the hand of the Lord was with him. The hand of the Lord was with him. If separation strengthens my calling, preparation stretches my calling. To work with all my heart, Colossians 3.23, and to be fruitful in every good work. That is what preparation does. Not only to just work with all my heart in one thing, but to be fruitful in every good work. That 360 degree strengthening for the calling, that is what the hand of the Lord does for us. Amen? You see, what does the hand of the Lord do? It gives us guidance even in spheres outside our calling. Look at First Chronicles 28 verse 19. David David did not have a call to build the temple. Yes? God said your hands are stained with blood. You cannot build the temple. But what does it do? His hand, look at verse 19. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon all the works of the plants. Which means he did not build the temple physically, but he visualized it fully how many of us have plans for building the house? We make plans, right? That's my job. We make plans so that the house can be visualized and then we build. Correct? Now, David did not physically build, but God helped him to do the complete preparation outside his calling, but the equipping was there to fulfill that. And that was also because his zeal was there for that. You see, that is what the hand of the Lord does for us. It recognizes our zeal and it guides us. Amen? And then what else? In look, in look at uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 21, where the early disciples, when persecution came to them, when they had to flee, look at what happens. Outside comfort zones, what does the hand of the Lord do? I'll read. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews alone. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they came to Antioch, spoke to the Jews. Is that what your Bible says? Spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them, people escaping persecution, coming into unfamiliar territories, and then 
meeting unknown people, but when they took that yoke, the hand of the Lord strengthened them to fulfill that purpose. Many turned to the Lord. You shall see the hand of the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What else does God do in the place of assignment? There is progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. If there is separation, if there is preparation, God backs it up with revelation. Look at verse 3 of Luke chapter 1. Verse 3 of Luke chapter 3, sorry. Luke chapter 3, verse 3. Before that, one verse before that, sister. Two, verse 2. While Ananias and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, son of Zacharias, in the, in the wilderness, in the place of separation, God reveals to Zechariah. A word comes. It's not a word for him to just listen and do nothing. It was a command. He was asked to go and baptize. That is why in John chapter, three, chapter 1, verse 31. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing. Therefore, I came baptizing. John did not just take it up as something different that I should find out. No, he needed to identify who the Messiah was. We will come to that a little later. The word of God came and said, John, now get up, start baptizing. I will show you who is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. But I want you to start baptizing with water. The word came to John in the wilderness. Instruction came. Command came. A, a, a calling that was prepared. A calling that was prepared was now put forth through revelation. That was the word. Then he encounters the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 33 of John chapter 1. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John did not know Jesus Christ. In the sense, he knew that he was his cousin. Okay, That time there was no WhatsApp, Instagram and all that, that he could see Jesus' photo. Right? He was separated in the wilderness for a long time. He could not recognize him. Right? Like, I went for a wedding two weeks back. People could not recognize me. They had not seen me for many, many years. And they, I could not recognize some people because I knew that they were related to me, but their appearance had changed. I could not recognize. In the same way, for God to show him who the Messiah was, when he continued in obedience, when he did the first step, the second step was made known to him as he was baptizing, as the Lord came. The voice of the Lord came to him and said, this is him. Progressive revelation. When we take the first step of obedience, God is faithful to show us the next step. If you hear the word of the Lord, wait for the voice of the Lord. After obedience, not before. It comes after we take a step. And God shall give us that direction in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And when he does this, his joy becomes full because the one who did heard the word of the Lord, who heard the voice of the Lord, found the face of the Lord. Look at verse 29 of John 3. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Therefore, his joy became full when he met the Lord. How God fills us with joy in the place of assignment. And how is this joy sustained? It is sustained after revelation. It is sustained in submission. Look at verse 30 of John chapter 3. Verse, John chapter 3. He must become greater and greater, but I must decrease. You see, John was almost considered the Messiah. Many people thought he was the Messiah. They came and asked, are you the Christ? He said, no. That is the impact of his ministry. Though he did not do any miracle, people feared him, people followed him. But when the Lord came, he stepped aside. He did not even follow him, if you notice. The Lord had another assignment for him. He had to go into the prison. He had to take, move away from the center stage. That attitude of submission made it easy for John. Sometimes our joy is drained because we find it difficult to decrease. But the Look at what this man says in his place of assignment. He must increase, but I must become lesser and lesser. I should be brought to nothing so that he will be revealed in me. Tell your neighbor, I must decrease. I must decrease, Pastor Abraham. Amen. You know why? What does God do to one who decreases? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. I will read that. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You know what was the testimony of Jesus about John the Baptist? He said, He was no greater prophet was born among the sons of women than John the Baptist. But he calls you and me greater than him. So how much more should you and I say, I must decrease? Amen? What else does God do to fulfill our joy? My last point, assurance during apprehensions. Assurance during apprehensions in the place of assignment. John had his apprehensions. After he was put in the prison, he asked a statement to Jesus. What does he say? Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 20. People, he sends his disciples to Jesus and says, John the Baptist has sent us to you with this message. Are you the one who was to come? Or are we to look to someone else. John had an expectation from Jesus. He thought that Jesus will immediately start baptizing with the Spirit. But for that, Jesus had a task which was not revealed to John at that point of time. 
Many times we want God to operate according to our understanding. But what does Proverbs 3 verse 5 say? Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Here John had apprehensions because he was leaning on his own understanding. He was expecting God to work within his window. And that's why his apprehensions grew. And he said, do we have to look for someone else now? But look at his zeal even at that point of time. He's in prison, going to be beheaded. But he's saying, I might have to go out. I don't know how it's going to happen. Because this Messiah, he's eating and drinking with tax collectors. He's not baptizing people in the spirit. Maybe he's just another miracle preacher. But you know what God does so graciously? So graciously, what does he say? In verse 21 to 23, I will read it from the Philips translation. At that very time, Jesus was healing many people of their diseases and ailments and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he answered them, Go and tell John what you have heard and seen. The blind are recovering their sight, the cripples are walking again, the lepers are being healed, the deaf hearing, and dead men are being brought to life again. And the good news is being given to those in need, and happy is the man who never loses faith in me. Happy is the man who never loses faith in me. See, the man in the spirit and power of Elijah also had the apprehensions of Elijah, just like you and me. John the Baptist, who came in the spirit and power of Elijah, had the same doubts as Elijah. But God, what does he do? He shows his work. Immediately, he heals many. And he says, John, remember, it was wrote in the book, written in the book of Isaiah that there would be a restoration of times. Lame will walk, blind will see. I'm doing that. And then he gives him a word of assurance. Blessed is he who does not stumble because of me. In other words, my nature, John, is to be faithful. I will not let you down. If you keep up your faith in me, you will not be let down. That's a word for someone. If you keep up your faith in me, I will not leave you down. He gives us his assurance, and therefore we will not remain in the place of stumbling. I want us to read Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. I thought I'll hear an amen. Amen. Concluding thoughts. Am I aligned with God? Am I aligned with God? Let's ask myself, ourselves. I am under the same scrutiny of the scripture. It's a double-edged sword. Am I in alignment with God? Is his yoke pleasant to me? Am I confined with him? Hid with Christ? Am I separated for his calling? I want us to close our eyes. Am I separated for his close calling? What shapes my identity? What feeds me? If I am separated, am I allowing him to stretch my calling? If I am separated, am I allowing him to extend the spheres of my calling? 
Am I delighted in obeying his revealed word? Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them and it was to me the joy and rejoicing of my soul. For I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. Am I rejoicing in obeying his word? Am I yielding to him or yielding to the desires of my life? Am I yielding to him in submission? Am I resting in his assurances? In the consolation of his word and of his work. Am I resting in those assurances? Am I willing to trust him when he's working outside the spheres of my timeline? If I start desiring to answer yes to any of these questions or all of these questions, God wants to become not only fill you with joy, he wants to become your exceeding joy. Amen. That's what the psalmist said. Oh, send out your light and truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. He who fills you with joy shall make you call him your exceeding joy in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless the hearing of his word. Praise the Lord. Did God talk to you? What did God talk to you? We, you, 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 heard, you heard for about the last 50 minutes you have been hearing. What did, what did God talk to you? You know, promise you are carrying. You are carrying the promise with you. But your unbelief, when the problems come in your life, when the darkness, when you have the valley, in the, the darkest days in your life, where is God? When the problem, when you are facing problem, it is your righteousness or God's righteousness that is, that is leading. He had the promise, Zechariah and, uh, and uh, Elis, Elis, Elizabeth, they had the promise from God. But did they been blessed at that point of time when God came to bless? Why? What did you, what did you hear? It is the unbelief because of our self-righteousness. Paul, uh, Paul says, Paul says in uh, uh, in in Philip uh, in in Romans chapter ten, the third verse. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going to about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted them them themselves unto the righteousness of God. 
it says that because of our own righteousness we are not ready to submit because you know most of the problems that you are facing you will have the plan a that is ours the plan b when things doesn't work then you think about you go to the prophet plan c you come back to the lord so in all the places you have the first thing that is our own righteousness it is the it is because we don't trust god that is that is what you had been you had been hearing all this all this all this time now uh, the beauty beauty is that uh, for us let us let us let us all stand up if it is your if it is if it is our unbelief we have to submit 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 to god are you ready to submit are you facing many of you are not facing any problems i i know that by looking looking at your face but you have to understand that if you are facing a problem that will be an asset which you cannot buy with money that will take you to the righteousness of god so that is one thing just bow before god and ask yourself when a problem comes what is my first option ask close your eyes and ask how do you how do you how do you treat that sit situation your unbelief because you don't trust god the first plan that comes about is our own plan so just submit 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 unto god lord i am sorry say lord i am sorry those who want to say say lord i am sorry lord i am lord i am sorry that i didn't trust you well i did not trust you zacharias did not trust him he had the promise but he did not trust the same way i did not trust if you are having a wonderful time you don't need god you can very clearly ignore what i'm saying but if it is right in your life say i'm sorry say i'm sorry say i'm sorry lord i'm sorry that i did not have faith in your righteousness uh in hebrews chapter 11 uh 11 the last verse says you know this is this is a very good verse uh 30 9 the whole chapter talks about the old testament saints and 39 says and all and these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise that means all those people mentioned over there gideon and after, they did not receive the promise who did who did receive the promise 40th verse god having provided some better thing for us for us that they without us should not be made perfect what a beautiful promise what a beautiful promise and the 12th chapter uh, second verse says that looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that is set before him endured cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne 
you will also have the same joy that is kept before you when you endure your despising situations god will raise you god will raise you look unto god he says he is the author and finisher of god let us let us uh, let us let us submit to god and pray father i submit unto you the last 15 15 minutes i have been hearing from you father sorry that lord father we heard that sakaria did not did not uh, receive the promise receive the promise at that at that, that time because of his unrighteousness father my unrighteousness forgive 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 me father once again father we pray o oh lord father this is your children father we pray that you have given the promise jesus christ for us that we should uh, they will not be made perfect without us father that is a that is a promise promise for us we give you father all glory and honor in jesus name we pray uh the new uh, brethren they have come you know you, you can just be here the uh, uh, here the elders or the leaders will be meeting meet, meeting you over here uh finally we will uh, we will say the grace the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us now and forevermore amen surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life we shall dwell in the house of the lord forever and ever amen the uh, christmas day morning 6 to 7:30 in the old hall the same way 31st also becomes a sunday that 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 day also we have from 6 to 7:30 in the old hall thank you god bless you all